Good morning. <laughs> for me, I hope it's a good day or a good evening for you. Hey guys, Construction Monk here. Today, we are wrapping up the section called Balance of the Series, calling all mystics notes from the road. This is note 32, and note 32 is resolution. <laughs> right? We're going to wrap this up. We've been talking about how to get out of the hell we're in and the central aspect of salvation, right? This is the gospel according to the construction monk. And for me, central to the gospel is the fact that we are a person with three parts, spirit, soul, body. And what God is attempting to do in all three of those parts to save us, right? That to me is the gospel. And that's been the thing I've been wrestling with my whole life to understand I was saved at nine, baptized, immersed. I received the Holy Spirit. I had a special experience of the Spirit for two weeks after I was baptized. But then I struggled with depression for 10 years from 12 to 22, with anxiety from 22 to 42. I had a breakdown at 42. The last eight years, I've been going through the desert. Like, my whole life has been full of struggle, suffering. And yet, I was saved at nine. I was truly saved. But what does that mean? And that's what I've been trying to figure out. And what I've figured out is I'm a spirit in a soul in a body. And understanding that has helped me really unlock the true reality of salvation and the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in me. And that work is in these three parts and it's different in each part. And that's what we're talking about. These are the, this is the keys of the kingdom. It's the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit doing this work in us in these three parts. So I, this series, Balance, has tried to lay that out in its basic form. And this is the foundation of where we're going as we continue to talk about how God wants to save us. Spirit, soul, body. This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. Let's get into note 32. Resolution. So this is going to be fun. I have a few corrections to make, but first I just want to tell you, we're going to talk about Moses today, right? I mentioned this last time that there are these two characters in the Old Testament that were kind of forerunners that foreshadowed the Christian life. And one was David, the other was Moses. I mentioned Moses, but we talked mostly about David. And today we're going to talk about Moses. But first, I wanted to make some corrections. First, I said that the Vulgate was the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That's wrong. It's the Latin Vulgate. It was translated into Latin for Roman Christians and Jews. It's the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Greek language was from the Greek culture when the Jews were ruled by Greece and started speaking Greek. These are the Hellenistic Jews especially. They translated their scriptures into Greek. And then as Rome came along and Latin became the universal language then the Jews also translated it into the Latin Vulgate. So that was a correction. Sometimes I'm just talking and I, whew, things come out wrong. <laughs> I don't quite get them right. The second thing was I was talking in two episodes ago, in the episode note 30 about dimension, right? I was talking about maps. And I, I was trying to make this analogy to 
the Father, Son, and Spirit concerning maps. And I, I didn't quite get it right. And later it came to me. I was like, this is the analogy correctly delivered to you, right? Hey, guys, this I'm learning, right? I don't sit and write this out. This is not a prepped sermon and memorized. This is my life, and I'm sharing to you. And so I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm putting these things together as we speak. That's what I love about my journey with God, and this is how I come to you. This is a journey, and this is just my life. So this is it. Jesus is the trail. The Holy Spirit is the guide, and God the Father is the destination that we're traveling to. <laughs> that's, the, that's the analogy of the map, right? And the key that unlocks the map, the keys of the kingdom, is the Holy Spirit, because that is the part of God that is with us. And so the Spirit is given to us by Jesus as our guide, as the helper, the paraclete, the teacher, right? And so Jesus is the way, right? I started out early in this episode series, Balance, talking about Jesus as the way. Jesus is the way. He's not just a way. He's the way. And in, he- in Hebrews, it calls him archegos, which means trailblazer. Like Jesus blazed this trail. And it, you can think of it as a general trail. Like Jesus lived life with God and he sets this example. But there is a very specific trail. Like Jesus wants to come in and also blaze a trail for you individually. And that's why we have to have the Spirit so intimately involved in in us to guide us, right? We're not walking a general trail. That's why it's a narrow way, not a broad way. The broad way is well-traveled by so many people because it's, it's general and it's mass consumption, right? It's just generic. It's general and generic and anybody can walk it and there it is. The narrow way, it's not narrow because it's like really hard and if you turn the wrong, if you take a wrong step, you'll fall off. It's narrow because it's a narrow trail is for one person. A broad trail, many people can walk together in groups. The narrow trail is narrow because it's individualized for you. God has an individual purpose for you because you're an individual. He's set in you individual things, skills, abilities, mission, meaning, right? And so Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us on our individual journey. That's why it's a narrow way. Isn't that cool? Moses found a narrow way, a way that was just for him. It took him a while to find it, though. It's interesting. Moses spent 40 years in the desert herding sheep, which prepared him to lead a nation of a million people or so out of slavery through a difficult journey into the promised land, right? It didn't go so well. Right, they wa- they wandered for forty years in the desert, just like Moses. Moses was such a key person in his life at a time in the nation of Israel when they weren't in a great place. Right. So I want to talk to you today about Moses. We're going to end up in Exodus chapter thirty-three. We're going to kind of go through a lot of that chapter where it really kind of gives us a good insight into who Moses was and why he was so special in the Old Testament, why he is like a forerunner, why he had such a special relationship with God. So we're going to look at his heart. But first, like, you know, it's interesting. Moses was an Israelite, if you know the story. Um, His mother hid him because at the time, Egypt, the Egyptians were killing Israelite males because they were afraid of the Israelites because they were growing strong. And of course, they were the labor force, so they were physically strong too. They were working all day, making bricks, building the pyramids or whatever. (laughs) 
the Sphinx, I don't know. Um, so they were physically strong. They were growing to be a big nation and they were slaves and they were, the Egyptians were afraid that they might rise up and they were large in number and they were physically strong. So they started killing Egyptians. In fact, there was a decree. Every newborn Israelite male would be killed. So Moses' mother hid him. And then when she couldn't hide him anymore because he was crying, then she put him in a basket, put him in the water, told her Miriam, Moses' sister, to watch over him and see what happened. And Moses is found by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter adopts Moses. Moses is raised as an Egyptian. He knows, though, or he learns of his heritage. He's an Israelite. Probably grew up looking in the mirror or the, the, the lake water, the river going, I don't look like an Egyptian, right? So he figures it out. In his early young adulthood, he sympathizes with his Israelite enslaved brothers and sisters. And at one point, tries to arbitrate between an Israelite and an Egyptian, beating the Israelite and kills the Egyptian, hides the body, and then learns that it wasn't as hidden as he would have hoped. And he flees because he's afraid it's going to be prosecuted or, you know... um, brought to justice for killing this Egyptian, even though he was the he was the, a royal, right? Raised, educated. But he flees. He goes from, think about it, he goes from this most powerful nation in the world at the time, the Egyptian nation, being so cultured and civilized and brought up and good food and good education. Then he goes into the desert to herd sheep, right? It's a big flip-flop there. It's the 40 years in the desert that prepare him to lead Israel out of slavery. This is really interesting, guys. Moses had to go through a long process, 40 years in the desert, to be prepared to do what God wanted. He wanted to liberate his people. He had this desire, but it was unrefined. And he, he, look, in his youthful exuberance and immaturity, he tries to exercise this desire to liberate his people in the wrong way. He uses physical force. He murders somebody. So he had this desire, but it was unrefined. And we all can be like that. In our pursuit of God, we're young and we want to take on the world and we just want to like tear everything down. And um, sometimes we launch out in our immaturity in unhealthy ways. Moses did that as a young adult. Had a good desire. That's the point. He had a good desire, even a godly desire to liberate his people. It was God's desire and it was God's desire to use him. But he attempted to do that at a point where he wasn't trained by God to follow God's leading. So 40 years in the desert, how does that prepare Moses? It humbled him, right? It also taught him the land through which he would eventually lead Israel. Isn't that wild? God actually put him in this physical area that he needed to know really well in order to lead. So that's very practical, right? I guess herding sheep isn't that different than herding people either. He learned a lot there. He learned how to survive in the wilderness but he also learned to hear God, right? The instigating act of Moses then being called, as, it, it's theorized that he's 80 years old at this point when he's called to lead Israel. At that point, there's this burning bush and he's able to recognize, hey, something divine's happening here and he takes off his sandals. So like, we don't really have a lot of details about how Moses grew to know God more. But it's obvious that when this bush is burning, he's like, this is something holy. This is holy ground. He takes off his shoes. He knows, you know, to, 
to come up and to pursue this, to recognize it, and to humble himself. He's been humbled. And then he hears the call of God. It's interesting. When God calls Moses to go back to Egypt to liberate his people, you know what Moses says? I can't do it. I'm not a good speaker. I, I, I don't have the confidence. He had all the confidence when he was in his 30s. He murdered somebody in his 80s. He's like, God, I can't do it unless you help me. Send someone with me. God calls Aaron, Moses' brother, to help to be his mouthpiece, right? But this is good, guys. Moses is ready to take on the world at 30. At 80, he's like, I can't do it. I need help. That's the wisdom of maturity and age to say, can't do this, God. I need help. I need the help. I need your help. Like, sometimes we want to do things for God, not with God. Moses had to be humbled so that he had a value for being empowered by God directly and also to walk with other people and to partner with other people like his brother Aaron. Isn't that cool? So he had to be prepared. And then he's called to Egypt. Leads the people out, right? All these plagues, these miracles. um, Leads them out into the desert. And then gets them to this pro- the promised land. They're not ready, right? One of the cool things about the desert is it, it, it does prepare us, it humbles us, it teaches us how to know God. Because this is really cool. So I'm talking about the journeys we take and how God prepares us to be the kind of person that can help liberate other people from their slavery, right? There's this paradigm, there's this pattern. Egypt, the land of slavery, the desert is this wild place, uncivilized, right? Where we learn to depend on God. And then God, through that journey, leads us to the promised land. Egypt, very civilized, very cultured, right? It's interesting, but, but it's, it was the land of slavery for Israel. It's interesting that when Israel gets out into the desert and they, they experience this need to rely on God's provision, and they, then they grumble and they're upset and they're like, you know what they say? Man, we had it so much better in Egypt. Like, what? Are you serious? You hated Egypt. You hate they were killing your firstborn sons. But you know what they said? Well, at least we had our daily bread and it was provided for us. There was a system of provision that that was secure. It was safe even though it was killing them. And they get into the desert with God where things aren't so secure and so laid out and so organized and civilized and they're like, this sucks. Ooh. It really, this, I, what, have I, what have I talked about, guys? My eight years in the desert with God has been, it's wrecked me. It's torn me apart. So God put me back together. It's been hard because it's broken me out of the order that I knew before. Even though it was an order that was organized by a kingdom that was bent on killing me. It's still really hard to come out of that order. Even if you can say, I'm living in hell. It's terrible. And then God it's like, okay, let's fix it. And you get in, start to dig in, and the Holy Spirit starts to dig in, and you're like, my life just got worse. I want to go back. And guys, I can tell you, there were times when I was really struggling, going through hell, and I was like, man, I don't know if I want to keep going. I feel like maybe it was better before. <laughs> my life was better before my eight years in the desert. Or seven years in the desert. 
year eight has been in the promised land, but that's been hard too because it's not easy to reestablish yourself in a new land. This is the paradigm, guys. God is calling individuals like Moses who really know him, who have been to the desert already to lead other people through the desert. That's me. That could be you. You might be a Moses. This is why we're focusing on Moses in this episode podcast series, note 32, called Resolution. Because Moses was this kind of person that went through the desert before everybody else did. And so he knew how to lead people through the desert out of slavery. But it's hard to go through the desert. The desert is wild. God wants to call us out of our safety, which is killing us. It is the hell we're in, but we don't recognize it. When you start to wake up to the hell you're in, it feels like your life gets worse. I have a relative who struggles with depression and they've gone to addiction to help mitigate and numb themselves. Every time they try to get sober, their life gets worse. And they're like, well, why am I doing this? And they run back to the safety of the thing that is also killing them, but at least they know it. It's hard to journey out of what you know, even when it's bad, into something you don't know. And your life can get worse at first. That was true for me. But man, I'm glad I made it through the desert into the promised land. It's worth it. You have to know what you're going through. That's why I think, you know, it's really important. There's a lot of people struggling with anxiety, depression, mental health illnesses. And it's, it's important to know the paradigm of Egypt, desert, promised land. Because in the desert, when you're trying to get out of the slavery and the hell you're in, when you get into the desert, your life doesn't automatically get better. When you come to God, your life doesn't automatically get better. And that's why I, 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 I'm strongly oppositional to the health and wealth gospel because it teaches you that when you come to God, your life will get better and the money will start flowing and the bigger houses and the blessing will just make your life easy. And that's, that's bullshit. And I say that strongly so because it's just not true. Your life, God wants to take you from an order that is ordered by hell and the forces of hell, and undo you in the desert by revealing that hell in order to bring you to a better life, but your life gets worse in the desert because at least it was organized and ordered and at least you understood how to operate in Egypt. And that was true of Israel. They got into the desert with Moses and they were like, screw this, we hate this. Because we don't know where our next meal is coming from. We got to rely on God, you know, and it sucks. It's hard. There's no houses. There's no streets. There's no sources. There's no grocery stores. There's no like, right? We would rather eat leeks and onions by the Nile than not know whether or not God's going to provide. <laughs> they, and they went, in fact, in Exodus 33, it, it's, it follows Exodus 32 where... Moses goes up to the mountain to receive a new law from God, which is going to tell the Israelites how God's going to reorder them as a society and as a nation. And he goes up and he's there. I think he's there 40 days. And they're like, "Woo, he's died. And what do they do? We need to, they return to the idolatry of the, of the gods of Egypt. They get this golden calf and they, they start doing what they used to do in Egypt. And they forget God really quickly. God's pissed off. Moses is pissed off. He goes down, throws the tablets. He's so mad. Grinds up the golden calf. Makes him drink it. (laughs) And then um, 
God's anger breaks out for a moment. Moses has to plead with God to not destroy the whole nation at that point and start over with him because God's concerned. He's like, I don't think these people can really come out of this order of Egypt, this order of slavery that they're in. I don't think they can relearn this. And so it's a real concern. God wants to recreate a new nation that is more akin to how he desires society to be ordered. This is the whole, this is the arc of from the garden to now, God is trying to redeem culture and redeem nations and redeem people and redeem individuals, right? But it's from slavery through the desert to the promised land. We want to jump from the land of slavery to the promised land. It's the desert that trains us and reorders us. It tears us apart. God has to tear us down and rebuild us because you can't take the values of the land of slavery into the land of promise and expect that you're not going to just continue in a new place to do the same old things. This is why immigrants, when they move, they can tend to recreate their old culture in a new place. That's why places like Chinatown and, you know, New Taiwan or New China or lots of cultures can tend to just isolate in a new place instead of adapting and adopting the new things, right? This is the danger. This is the struggle. Moses had to learn that first being brought out of the civilization of Egypt. He was forced out through this event into the desert, spent 40 years there being trained by God and how to hear God and follow God in the desert. Then it goes back to liberate Israel, who then also struggles in the desert to relearn and be retrained and be reordered according to God's way of life, right? This is also for us. We need to go through the desert. We need individuals who have already been through the desert like Moses who can say, hey guys, I know what's going on. It's going to be hard. I'm going to prepare you. Like if your church isn't going, if your church isn't preparing you to go through the desert, if they're saying, you're just going to jump from the slavery of the wrong system into the goodness of God, it's going to be easy. Bam. Get out, come up out of the water, the clouds part, the angels sing. It's going to be easy. That's not it. That's not the gospel. The easy gospel isn't the gospel. The health and wealth gospel is bullshit. And it doesn't prepare you for the real work God needs to do through the Holy Spirit in your heart, mind, body, soul, right? Emotions to break all these ingrained habits of the wrong system. Let us jump over to Exodus 33. It's interesting. I was going to give a definition of resolution. I'll just jump there for a second. It means the resolving of things, right? But the it also means, like, I, th- I thought of resolution as pixels, right? Resolution is the quality of a picture. And that's been true of me and my journey with God that I have had for a long, long time these desires from God. I've known. I'm supposed to write books. I've had this desire to speak, to teach people about God. But in the beginning the resolution of that picture was blurry. It's become more and more and more clear as I've traveled with God. And so resolution has that kind of meaning. But it also, it's a Latin word. It means to loosen or release. And so resolution is the resolving of things. It's the resolving of the pain you're in, the hell you're in. But it's also being released from the hell you're in, being loosened from the grip of Satan and the kingdom of darkness, right? Into the kingdom of light. It's all these things. It's a journey. It takes time. It's uh, that's cool though. That's re- that's resolution. God's trying to resolve 
the hell we're in, but there's a lot of ingrained things inside us, foothold strongholds that have to be dealt with. It's not just this simple one-time magic pill. It's a lot of work, guys. Waking you up to the hell you're in feels like hell. And it can feel like hell for a long time. And it's not going to get better really quick. <clears throat> it takes resolve. It takes resolution. <laughs> to resolve the things that have got you into hell and keep you there. Okay, so. After Israel goes rogue, forsakes God, Moses comes down. Then there's Exodus 33. And there, now it says, God gives them com- a command to depart and God actually says I'm not going to go up with you because you're an obstinate people otherwise I might destroy you that's serious guys think about this sometimes God in the Old Testament can seem, seem angry but you got to understand what he's dealing with okay he's dealing it's like it's like I get frustrated with my kids sometimes you know when they're doing stupid stuff and, and I've told them 20 times and they still haven't listened and I'm like I already told you right and so God's like it's really like I can't go with you because I can't be near you right now because of the hard-heartedness you're in. And so sometimes we wonder where God is in our lives. And God is always there. But sometimes God doesn't draw near to us because it would be painful. Not because God is wrathful and can't control his temper. But because God knows it's painful for us to experience his nearness when we are so in such a state of hostility towards God. And so God's like, I can't be near you right now. That's important. There's a journey we need to take to grow closer to God where God has to resolve the things in us that would make his presence painful. That's just true. That's the desert. Then the people went into mourning, which was a good response, right? They're like, yeah, man, they're owning it, right? Okay. So this is starting with verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp. This is the tent of meeting. A good distance from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. Okay? This is where he would meet with God. And the whole nation would like, when he went into the tent, they would stand and they would worship until he would come out, right? Okay. It says, whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And that cloud represented God's presence. And the Lord would speak with Moses. Cool. Verse 11. So the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Whoa. Guys. Wow. That just blows me away like god 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 would speak to moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend this is what made moses so special he had this kind of relationship with god he knew god he had learned about god through the desert right he'd been refined he'd been humbled he spoke to god like a man speaks with his friend man guys this is how i speak to god i love it i'm like just god i'm like hey god sometimes i talk to god i'm like man am i irreverent towards you because i don't want to be but God's like, no, I've taught you how to know me. I've taught you how to have this friendship. And yes, God is austere and he's holy and he's so far above me, but he's also so real and present. And I've learned to be friends with God. And I love that, that about Moses too. Here's Moses where he intercedes for the nation. He says, then Moses said to the Lord, this is verse 12. Exodus 33. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you in order that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people 
And he said, my presence, God said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to God, then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we and I, we, I and your people may be distinguished from all the other peoples who are on the face of the earth? Listen to this, guys. Listen to this. Starts out, God's like, I can't be near these people. And Moses is like, and God's like, but I can be near you. And Moses, being someone close to God, is like, thank you, God, for being with me. But listen, I want you to be with these people too. Like Moses was somebody that knew God, learned how to know God, and he, but he wasn't okay with a whole nation of people that didn't know God like he did. And he, he beseeches God on the half of the nation and says, if I found favor with you, if you love me so much, also be with these people. If, and he says, I love this. He's like, if you don't go with us, don't send us. That's how we should be, guys. We should be like, if God is not, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to go. Either it's us together or we don't go. If you're not going with God, then don't do it. If God's not with you in it, don't do it. Our attitude in life should be God. If you're in it, I'm in it. If you're not in it, I don't want it. This is what Moses learned. And then he's translating this relationship that he has with God to the people and saying, God, if I found favor, if we're friends, please go with, please be also with the people I love. And it's not that God didn't love Israel, but there was this tension in their relationship. But Moses is saying, I know you. I'm going to help these people know you too. Let's do this together, right? If I, if I found favor with you, help me translate that favor to others. Man, that's so beautiful, guys. I want to tell you something. And then God says, I will do this. Because you have found favor. I'm also going to be with these people. This is what I want you to understand, guys, about Moses and the special relationship with, that he had and how you can be a Moses. Think about this. A nation in slavery. One guy who comes to know God intimately in the desert changes the whole course of the outcome of a whole nation of people. Liberates them from slavery. Gets them eventually through the desert. Had to come in the next generation, but still got them through the desert. Got them into the promised land. They become the nation of God. It's because of the nation of Israel that I'm standing here today telling you about Jesus and his salvation, right? It's like Moses one person at the right time who does the right thing can make a difference for a large group of people. That's what it means to be a Moses. That's the call of God for individuals now. One person speaking up who really knows God and God's heart, speaking up and speaking to others and encouraging others to have that same relationship can make a huge difference. You can be that one person. That's the beauty of Moses and his relationship with God and how he cared enough to translate that into the relationship that others could have with God. I think, that, I think about this all the time, guys. I think, man, if I can come to know God this way, anybody can. I'm not anyone special. I've not had some kind of special journey, some kind of special benefit that other people don't have. I'm a regular guy. I own my own business. I'm a construction worker. That's why I'm the construction monk. Like, I had no special path to God. I was baptized at nine. I grew up in the Christian religion. I had some advantages of going to Bible college. That was helpful. But... It wasn't because of those things. It was because I read scripture on my own. I pursued God on my own. Nothing special about me. And I've become like a Moses in my time. 
You can too. If you pursue God and come to know God, you can be Moses to lead others. We need Moses now more than ever. One person can make a big difference. I was, I'm reminded of the recent music phenomenon of Oliver Anthony, who's really Christopher Anthony, who wrote this one song, Richmond, North of Richmond. And in two weeks, it went to 22 million views on YouTube. In a month, it went to 65 million views, and it'll probably be a billion views in a couple months. Why? One guy stood up and said, enough. This is bullshit. I'm tired of, I'm tired of this. He used some words. He spoke up. He set an example. And he said, this isn't right. We're not in a good place. And he spoke up. And man, one person can make a big difference. And I've heard him talk about how people come up to them crying and give them hugs and say, thank you so much for speaking this out. It's, it's, it's helped me so much express what I needed to get out of my heart. Right? One person can make a big difference. One godly person man or woman can make a big difference in their time in their arena of influence right and i love that example and now i see what christopher anthony is doing with this moment of his he's starting to write music of course but he's also speaking out about how god had called him out of his desert and his struggle and his suffering right (laughs) i love it i want to read this quote two quotes and we'll kind of end here I'll try to wrap it up. There's so much more I I could say, would love to say. But this is the resolution that we're all looking for, guys. Mary Shelley, quote, Words have more power than anyone can guess. It is by words that the world's great fight now in these civilized times is carried on. I never hesitated to use them when I fought any battle for the miserable and oppressed. And then she continues, people are so afraid to speak, it would seem as if half our fellow creatures were born with deficient organs, like parrots. They can repeat a lesson, but their voice fails them, when that alone is wanting to make the tyrant quail. Okay, there's governmental tyrants, right? That's what Christopher Anthony spoke about. But there's a spiritual oppression we're under. And guys, we need to stand up and we need to speak out and we need to say, I know the way that you guys can get out of the hell you're in. It's Jesus. And it's not the bullshit religion that you may think of when you think of Jesus. Because the church is not in a great place either. But it's true. It's real. It's the Holy Spirit in you doing a work in your spirit, soul, body. More and more people need to stand up and say there's a reality to the truth that the church teaches. Which it's also forgotten in some ways. And this is A.W. Tozer. Cool quote. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Bam. That's the journey of the desert right there, guys. Can you, can you imagine a preacher saying, God wants to hurt you greatly so he can bless you deeply? Or are they going to say, no, God wants to bless you deeply by just giving you everything you want right now and not asking you to do anything or grow or change? <laughs> no. That's, that, the bulk of the church right now is giving too easy a gospel and too easy a baptism, and it's not the baptism of fire in the desert. But Tozer seemed to understand that there's a baptism of fire in the desert, which prepares you for the blessings of God, the true blessings of God. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies and our own strength. This is graduate level grace. And are you willing to enter this school? Whoop!
baby. Amen. Are you willing to enter this school? Do you want the American version of the gospel? The health and wealth? You know, say a simple prayer, get in the baptistry, and then God just wants to give you the American dream when it's completely contradictory in many ways to God's desire to recreate us in his image, to take us through the desert, to refine and hone and our character, to solve the hell we're in, which is spirit, soul, body, right? <clears throat> and this is what we're in, guys. We're in hell. And things ain't getting better. But guess what? God is calling people like Moses today to stand up, use their words, speak out and say, you know what? American Christianity ain't Christianity because it doesn't talk about the desert experiences, the refinement. It doesn't talk about the fact that you're, we're in slavery. And God needs to lead us out of the land of slavery through a desert first in order to get us to the promised land. Don't skip. You can't skip that step. You can't skip the desert. The desert is where we're trained to really know God, follow the Spirit, learn to hear the Spirit so we can begin to let the Spirit do this deep work. I'm just at the beginning of that. I've just now got to a place where, where I'm getting newly ingrained in this new way of living life, which is something doesn't feel right in me. I'm struggling. I feel some oppression. Okay, Holy Spirit. What's going on? What are we doing here? What are, what are you trying to teach me right now? I'm just beginning. I'm a baby mystic. I'm just learning how to live in this new way. I've just gotten to the promised land. It's been hard because when Israel got to the promised land, it wasn't like it just opened up. And that was the problem when Israel got to the promised land the first time. They went in and 10 of the 12 spies said, no can do, buddy. They weren't trained by the desert to trust God enough to face the giants in the promised land, which there were literal giants. The Anakin, um, Amical, I can't think of the words. Some of the Canaanite tribes, they were actual giants. The Nephilim became, I can't think of the, the names of some of the tribes of the Canaanites that were giant tribes. But Israel got there and they were like, we can't do it. And Moses, two of the spies, Caleb and uh Joshua were like, are you serious, guys? Did you not just see what God did through the desert, how he provided parting of the Red Sea? And they were like, nope, nope, can't do it. They weren't prepared by the desert properly to enter the promised land. That's the point. The point of the desert is to prepare you to enter into the good things God has by teaching you to rely on God because you guys are going to face giants, man. Panic attacks, the things that are going on in your heart and mind right now, if you're waking up to the hell you're in, they're going to look like giants. You need to know that God's bigger than the giants you will face in order to get not just to the promised land, but to actually enter the promised land of the good things God has. You've got to face giants. There's a lot of battles Israel had to fight even when they came back to the promised land 40 years later to get in and take and establish a new way of life in the promised land. Same is true for us. We need Moseses today because this is where we are. We're waking up to the hell we're in. We're going, wow, not good. And we're going, you know what? People, a lot of people are recognizing where culture is, isn't good. And we need to move out of that, but we don't know how to move forward, where to go. Moseses, we need Moseses today to stand up and say, I know, I've been through the desert. I know the keys, I have the keys of the kingdom. I've learned to hear the spirit. I can teach you how to get out of the hell you're in. How to get through the desert and be refined in the desert to be closer to God so God can do this work in you like he's done in me.
love it. Amen. Hey guys, as I mentioned, this was the last episode of Balance. And I'm starting a new series next episode called Communion, subtitled Building Christ-Centered Community. What does it look like for us to begin to follow Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit, begin to learn how to be sensitive to the Spirit, and then to form communities with each other so that we can walk together on this journey so that we can help each other, right? We're following Jesus, but let's do it together. There's so much need in today's world for a lot of change in the church, out of the church. Church ain't in a good place. The world ain't in a good place, but God is doing something. He's, he's already prepared people like me to be a kind of Moses in their own arenas and spheres and their groups to say, you're struggling, World ain't great, church ain't great, but I know what to do. Let's go. Here's what we need. We need community. I think we've forgotten a lot about how to really be a Christ-centered community, God-centered community. What community even really is, guys? The phenomenon of social media has effervesced because we have forgotten how to be communal. So we're going to these, like, sugary superficial sources for community because we've lost it in practical in the practical reality of our everyday lives and that's what I want to talk about next as we begin to follow Christ as individuals we need to start to follow Christ communally like communion is a relationship between me and God but the spirit of unity brings me out of that into communion with others because this is the heart of God this is why God created the world for communion and community. And that's what we're going to launch into next time. Hey, love you guys. This has been a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Stewart. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. Bam! <laughs> I hope this series balance has really at least put before you the ideal. You're a person with three parts, and there's a veil in your spirit between you and the Spirit of God, and that veil needs to be taken apart bit by bit that's the real true deep reality of salvation and then it will affect your soul and that's a different work and that's a deep work too and then it will start to affect your body man guys your your physical state of well-being can change too like god wants to save you in every part amen